0: We're glad you joined us. Uh, Glad you're here this morning. If you're joining us online this morning, I'm glad you uh, marked out some time this morning to pursue God together with us. Um, If you're one of the 17 or 18 uh, million people in our community alone that are sick this weekend, uh, we hope you feel better um, soon. Uh, Hey, we are working through a series called The Gifts, and uh, we are looking at the three gifts that the wise men or the magi, these, um, uh, these pagan priests from the east, the three gifts they brought to Jesus. And last week we talked about frankincense, right? And uh, next week we're going to talk about gold, and those are two things that probably most of us are at least somewhat familiar with. Um, today we're going to talk about a thing called myrrh. Right? And uh, we talked last week about there's a lot about the story, maybe misnomers we have about the story. Um, a lot of times we envision the story with Jesus um, in the manger and the wise men coming, and there's three guys dressed really nice, and they each come bearing a box. Right? And we talked about last week that um, they didn't come to Jesus in the stable. If there was even a stable, it was probably a cave. But they didn't come to him when he was born. Right, They came to him probably a year and a half later. They searched for him. They walked hundreds, if not thousands of miles. Here's an absurd thing to think about. This was a commitment they made for years of their life, right? There was no jet that they could hop on back from Bethlehem to wherever they came from in the east. They were were, um, walking for years to go to Jesus and then to return, and they bring these gifts, and these gifts are very prophetic, They say something about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do with his life. And I I don't want you to miss this. This is um, just kind of for free. It's not the central point of this series. Um, But it is astounding to think that God's sovereignty so extends. God is so sovereign over everything that he could use pagan priests to declare the good news of what he's doing in the world. I mean, that's amazing, right? So these wise men come, and they they bring the frankincense and the gold, and they bring this thing called myrrh. And and we're just going to cut the chase. If you don't know anything about myrrh, um, one of the primary uses, and the theologians and church historians believe the reason that they brought myrrh is because one of the primary uses of myrrh was it was an embalming agent. It was an embalming agent. Now, You have maybe been to some baby showers and seen some weird gifts at some baby showers. I doubt you've ever been to a baby shower and someone's like, you know what? So excited you're having a kid. You know what kids do? They die. So I brought you some embalming fluid for when that day comes. It was on discount at Costco today, right? Like that's weird and dark and messed up, but this is exactly what these guys bring. And I don't know why they thought they were bringing it, but what we know is that they were bringing it as a declaration of what is going to come, that Jesus was born for the purpose of dying. I, 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 I kind of wrestle with wondering if Mary and Joseph even understood I mean, Mary and Joseph were um, honorable. They were seen as righteous before the Lord, right? And they knew that there was something miraculous and amazing going on. They both knew this. They had angels speak to them. Like Mary was, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Like she knew something was up with this whole Jesus thing. But I wonder how much they expected Jesus to be what all of the had expected, Right? In fact, one of the names that's given of Jesus from the very beginning is that he is Emmanuel, the Lord with us. And when you look at the story that that, that prophecy comes from, it's actually a story of God promising um, victory in war. That, that there'll come a kid and the presence of the child will, will remind the people that God is a God who conquers, who protects, who takes care of his people. And I imagine that when, they came, when, 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 they were, when Jesus was declared with his name Emmanuel, they thought, yeah, he's coming. The king is coming and he's going to ascend to his throne. And in fact, that's what the wise men say when they come. Right. You remember they go to Herod and they say, um, they say, We've come. We've come because we saw a star appear and we've, we've come after it because that star is declaring something. It's declaring the birth of the king of the Jews. And it got really awkward in Herod's room because you know what Herod's title was? The king of the Jews. <laughs> and they come to celebrate the birth of this new king and they show up with the symbol of death. And this is central to our faith. This is central to the foundation of what we believe about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews 10. Oh, maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. You might have to follow along with me. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says this, But our high priest, this is speaking about Jesus, says this. He offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. This is why Jesus came, so that he could offer himself, offer his body as a sacrifice. And we love verses like this. And and these are great, and they're good, and they're profound Truths. But I think sometimes in 21st century America, we are so disconnected from the sacrificial system. We don't have anybody in our culture that participates in anything that looks anything like a sacrificial system. That we lose the weightiness, the, the violence, the blood of this statement. Think, think about Think about what it's saying, the, the image that it's painting for you. That Jesus is born for the purpose of being sacrificed. Not just dying, but being sacrificed. Being sacrificed for us. Uh, here's a theory I have. Um, when you read the Bible if you're honest with yourself and if you're honest in reading scripture, there will be times where you're going to go, oh, like, oh, I, I, uh, I don't know how I feel about, it. don't you think that you could have done it a different way? Like if we're honest, like if there's not a point in time where you've read something to the Bible and gone, I, I, I don't know about that. Either one, you're either not reading the Bible, or two, you're just not being honest with yourself. And maybe for many of us, when we get into these things about sacrifice and the sacrificial system and Jesus being the fulfillment of this, that Jesus being the perfect lamb to complete all other, to fulfill all their sacrifices, this is what the the writer of Hebrews is contending, that he is the great perfect sacrifice that finishes all the necessary needs for any other sacrifices. And when we really start to think about what this word means, it can be like a, oh, like death and blood and right? Or maybe, maybe it's maybe it's not here. Maybe um, if you read in the Old Testament, you like you read in the Torah and you start in Genesis, right? And you're like, Genesis, God made everything and it was good, and you're like, yeah, this is going well. And then there's murder and there's death and there's destruction and there's slavery and there's violence and there's assault and there's this decaying and this fracturing of God's creation and if you don't read through the Torah there's a part of the story where you go ah I don't I don't know if I like that part of the story maybe maybe you got to get to like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, like they are sacrificial systems, like amped up, right? It, the whole story of Deuteronomy literally means the, the, the book's called Deuteronomy because it means the second law. So it's a retelling. Like Moses is at the end of his life. The people of Israel are about to head into the promised land. All the people who left Egypt have now died. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And he's going to tell them again. And you know what you find in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus? Blood and sacrifices. And when you do this, you have to sacrifice this animal. And when you do this, you have to sacrifice this animal. And if you do it this way, you got to sacrifice two animals. And if you think about, right, in fact, I was listening to a guy talk one time and he said, um, um, he said, if we were to do all that is necessary in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he said, I'm not sure there are enough lambs in the world to be sacrificed. And we can think about the sacrificial system and we can think about lambs and the blood and, and, and the, the screams of animals that are being sacrificed and the smell of iron and, and, and the, the burnt offerings that would be sacrificed and the stickiness of the blood that ends up on everything. Historians, uh, Josephus says that um, when Passover would come and they would sacrifice on the mount, they would sacrifice the temple that the, now this is maybe a little bit of a um, over-exaggeration, but he said there'd be so much blood running from the temple that the streets would run red with the blood of animals sacrificed. And we can go, I don't, I don't know if I like that part of, the Bible. But you know, I, I, was, I was thinking, there's an incredible gift in the sacrificial system. There's an incredible gift in what God is giving his people. And there's an incredible gift in this moment of all this violence and death. Um, uh, uh, Moses, Moses says this. Um, actually, if you, if you go to the next slide, Moses says this at the end in Deuteronomy 30, he says this. He says, This day I call the heavens. And earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You see, uh, the sacrificial system was intended to, in part, to be a reminder to us that the choices we make have consequences. That the choices that you and I make in relationships, in ourselves, in the world, in our interactions with our jobs and our callings, that they have consequences. And Moses says, so Moses says, you have a choice. You and I, we all have choices to make. But there are moments in our life when we make choices, we make choices that bring death. We make choices that bring curses. We make choices that bring destruction in ourselves and in those around us that bring violence and decay. And there are consequences to that. That when we choose rebelling against God's good created order, when we choose to reject the one who is life, all that there is left is death. And so God says, in part, as a reminder of our rebellion and the consequences, that that a death must occur because when we rebel against God, a very act of violence and death has already occurred. This is why um, Paul says, Romans 6.23 says this, right? This is where it comes from. He says, for the wages of sin is death. The cost of our rebellion. We have a choice, remember what Moses said? Right? He said, choose life. But you can choose. Like the heavens are my witness. Right? I, I've, I've done my job. I've done my duty. I've told you that there is a way that you can live that will bring life, that will bring goodness, that will bring the kingdom of God here on earth that will fulfill the pray that we say. God, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Your will on earth as it is in heaven, that God, you usher in Eden again, bring, restore life and goodness into this place. There is a way that we can do that. But there's also a way that we can live when we, by our actions or by our inactions, bring death, bring decay, bring destruction, rob Life in act violence, one theologian he says, um, that we engage in the act of decreation, that there was chaos, right? You remember in Genesis there was chaos uh, among the waters, and God began the art of the act of creation, as God began to organize and create and put things in the right place, so that there would be the word is Shalom, that there would be peace, right? And a lot of times we think of peace as like the absence of tension, but peace um, is more accurately, if you think about like a uh, an orchestra that's all in tune and all in time with one another, it's all these different elements that fit together in just the right way. And when we follow, when we listen to the things that God's called us to, when we're in submission to his goodness and obedient, we are part of playing the part of, of this orchestra. But when we rebel, when we reject, when we live outside the way God designed things, we are severing and tearing apart a part of the shalom of the world he's created. We are causing death for the cost of our rebellion is death. And one of the gifts of the sacrificial system is that every year or multiple times a year, these people would walk into Jerusalem carrying animals that they would hand to a priest. They would would hold this animal that they would hand to a priest and the priest would take it and he'd let out the blood and he would butcher it. And sometimes he'd burn it on an altar and right in front of them in very tactile, experiential way, they would be reminded in that moment that there is a cost to their rebellion. This is... What the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse three, he says this: "In those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year." I was thinking about this. You think about the Passover meal, just in particular, the Passover meal was a time where they would um, incredible amount of sacrifices. And they would bring all these sacrifices and, and they would sacrifice, I mean, almost 24 hours a day just to try and get all the sacrifices in. And, and like I said, Josephus would say that blood would run uh, down the streets, that there'd be so many sacrifices. And if you were a good Jew and you, and you took your lamb to be sacrificed, the blood would be let out and it'd be splattered on things. And then they would take a, pure, a part of the meat and they would offer it as a burnt, a burnt offering. And a and part of the meat, the, the priests would keep. And that was kind of one of the ways that um, priests were cared for and sustained is that they would take a part of the, the offering for them to eat. But um, they would give you back a part of the lamb and you would take this lamb home with you and you would cook it in just the right prescribed way, and you would celebrate the Passover meal, and you would sit at the center of the table is the remnants of a lamb whose life was given because of your rebellion. That you'd sing these songs, and you'd rejoice, and you'd celebrate over God's kindness and his unfailing love, all the while sitting in the middle of the table is the meat of a life that was given. Think think about this. Later, you're going to eat it. And you will find sustenance, think of the parallels, and life by the lamb that was sacrificed. And they'd sit around the table and they would celebrate. And I just wonder how different the experience would be than going to Walmart or Safeway or Ross to buy a piece of meat and sit around and celebrate than if you had taken that meat to the priest and offered prayers and that animal that you held that morning was the one that was sacrificed and now sat on your table. And what a gift it was to remember, to remind ourselves of the gravity and the weight of our rebellion that every single one of us, you and I, all of us have a choice every single day. Will we be people who usher in Eden, who bring healing, who bring hope, who bring life? Or will we be the kind of people that bring curse and bring death on the land, and curse and death upon our nation, and curse and death upon our communities and our families? Will we be the people of restoring Eden? or the people of decreation and violence. And I just thought, man, what a bummer. What a bummer that like, we don't have that. Like, like what a gift that would be to have to go through that very visceral experience of sacrificing this thing in place of the death we've created. And I remembered. Like that's what we do every week we come together to celebrate a meal, to be reminded of a body that was given for us, that Jesus lived this perfect and complete and, and, and righteous life in our place, and that Jesus received a punishment he didn't deserve so that we can receive a life that we didn't. In a moment, we're going to take communion, actually at this point of the service together. And so if you have the cup and the juice, if you have something at your house and you want to grab something really quick, I'd encourage you to have something and, and, and hold it in your hand. Don't take anything yet, but take the bread and hold it in one hand, and take the juice and hold it in the other hand. First, John. Two, it says this. He himself, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And only, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. What a powerful and beautiful moment that these wise men came traveling hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles To kneel, to worship Jesus, to declare that He would be the one who would offer Himself. And we have this moment that we get to come together every single week and remember that we are a people who far too often choose death. Far too often we choose curse. Far too often we choose violence and rebellion and bitterness and anger but we worship and celebrate a God who's full of life and goodness and hope. And we get to hold these pieces, this bread and this juice and remind ourselves that this is is what we choose so often. This is what we deserve, his death and destruction. But because of God's goodness and his mercy, we get to receive what we did not deserve because he received what he didn't deserve. As we think about the ways in our lives that we contribute to causing death and destruction and decreation, there's there's a real risk in this conversation. And the risk is this, um, the risk is shame. The temptation we can have is that we start to think about all the ways that we've contributed to causing chaos and death and violence. And we can begin to be tempted by being consumed by shame. When when we think about shame, um, there's a lot of things about shame that are not healthy and not good. But I, I really adamantly believe that shame is one of the strongest weapons that the enemy has against you. And the thing about shame is that he's going to always try and get you to feel shameful alone in a dark corner. And when we come to the cross, when we come to the sacrifice of Jesus, when we're when we reminded of his body and his blood, it shouldn't induce shame in us, but it should induce lament. You see, the difference between, one of the differences between shame and a lament is that shame is done in isolation. Lament is done in community. We come together to lament. Isaiah said it this way. I love, uh, Isaiah 53 has one of the greatest prophecies about Jesus. We're going to look at it next week. But Isaiah begins, and he says this. This this is so perfect. He says, beginning, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And we come together today to say, I'm a man of unclean lips, a man of broken heart, a man of wickedness, a man who causes death and destruction and curse and brokenness in this world. And I'm amongst a people who do the same, but we come to worship and celebrate because even though we usher in death and curse in this world, that God received all of that on himself, and his body was given, and they would take this piece of bread, and we take this piece of bread, and we remind ourselves that it is because of the very real gift, the very real sacrifice, the death of his body that we have life. Will you eat with me? Jesus took a glass of wine and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body. I mean, this is my blood spilt for you. As he sat around with his disciples, like they knew that image. They'd seen the lambs and the blood that had drained out of them. And they knew what it meant for the mercy seat to be covered with the sacrificial blood. And we come today to be reminded in a very real sense that because of the shedding of God, of Jesus' blood smeared over the mercy seat, we too can receive mercy and life and hope. And if you have found mercy and forgiveness because of Jesus, let us drink together.